Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? The Comics Podcast for the Savage Critics website. This is the first of three installments for episode 29, and Graham McMillan and myself start by discussing the passing of Dwayne McDuffie before moving on to answer questions on Twitter. Many, many questions. In this installment, we cover topics like teaching, the power of scientific thinking, Denny O'Neill and Justice League, the joys of Bob Haney's Brave and the Bold, the first comics we ever read, and the special secret of our own dumbassedness. Thanks for listening. Jeff, Skype is being very odd today. <laughs> so as as I may have told you in the past, it sings when you call, mm-hmm. right? But it sings and there's also this other sound effect that goes on at the same time. What just happened when you called to us? It gave me the other sound effect. And then it just went, Jeff Lester. <laughs> it didn't say any of that you have an incoming call. It was like, bling, bling, Jeff Lester. <laughs> Well, it, at least it's saying bling and not kill. Kill Jeff Lester. <laughs> exactly. Beware of Jeff Lester. <laughs> danger, danger. <laughs> Jeff Lester. They really should commission you to do all the uh, Skype calls because um, that would be awesome. It has to be said, like, just before you called, I was thinking about, uh, I don't know if you saw this on, on the Twitters as uh, where I found it. <laughs> Uh, but David Wolken apparently has his own theme music now after appearing on a podcast yesterday. Really? Yes. Um, and I haven't heard it, but let's face it. I mean, David Wolken, as any listener to this knows, is um, one of the two most attractive comic bloggers out there, especially decided by us. Um, <laughs> and so obviously he deserves his own theme music. But oh, I was, I was thinking, every, like, every podcast should have, like, each podcaster should have their own theme music. And yours should be a re-recorded version of Flash by Queen. Because <laughs> like, it'll be really, really good. He saved every one of us. <laughs> and yours, my friend? Oh, I have no idea. Oh. I, I, I thought someone else. I, I cannot come up with my own theme music. Oh, that would just be mm, Oh, right. You've got to have the other person come up with it. See, I would have to... I would have to... Well, let me think about that. I'm sure as we go along, I will come up with some sort of... I do kind of hope that, like, midway through this, you're like, oh, my God, it should be Isolation by John Lennon. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Is that what you really want? Or was that just, like, an example that you grabbed It it came to mind. I was thinking maybe you could do something with Isolation and Macmillan, but maybe not. Yeah, no. I Yeah, no, I'm really, at this point, I'm like, okay, Graham... Of course, now I've got the Flash Gordon song, so but I'm like... seriously, like, put that in your head, okay, and imagine the word Flash replaced by Jeff. Would that not or be... Or Graham, yeah. No, Graham. No, ah, no. Ah. <laughs> People say I have it for an entirely different, much less pleasant reason. Um, no, but <laughs> think about it, like, Jeff, Flash, they both have that punch. In a way that Graham just doesn't. There's too many syllables in Graham. Uh, not, not the way I usually say it. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> I still yeah. love that when I came over here, I was saying, everyone's like, what's your name? And I say, Graham. And to me, it ha- it goes, Graham. Graham, yeah. That's, th- to my mind, that's how you say my name. And everyone hears it as Green. And it's like, what? How are you actually hearing a different number of syllables? Yeah, no, it's it's never Graham. It's it's Graham. Like, you know, that's, like... That's just weird, people. <laughs> like the metric system, you know? It's like... It's a, you know, there's a kilo, there's a gram, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty easy. 
Yes, my name is often used in terms of ways of um, weighing drugs. Just like, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> just like, how many McMillan's can I get off you? <laughs> yeah, they should bring back the wire just for that. <laughs> Uh, so I noticed you uh, solicited the questionations on the Twitter. I did, I've been be- actually because quite busy. I actually thought, uh, if not, we were going to end up talking about doing the Duffy uh, for the entire hour. And, right. And while I do want to ask you about that, because you said something very curious in an email to me, mm-hmm. um, I also did not want that to be the only thing we talked about. I also, there, there's not been an incredible amount of news outside of that, so I thought this would be a good idea. Uh, right. But let's talk about McDuffie first, because you said... I made a comment uh, of, I thought we should talk about it, but not to the extent that Twitter had done, which mm-hmm. was in reference to something in particular. But you responded by saying that you hadn't, this is all an email, dear listeners, um, that you hadn't said anything on Twitter, but that you were angry about it. And that, that struck me as odd. You're angry about him being dead? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, mean, I... Angry at what? Well, that's 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 kind of the question, isn't it? I mean, you know, you, uh, I suppose generally there's kind of uh, there's a life thing there, but but generally my my real impression was I was pissed at a combination of the mainstream comic book industry uh, and I think various fans in it. Because one of the things that's frustrating to me, and actually, actually one of the things that did help was the um, the uh, the video clip that's going around that that's McDuffie talking about, uh, you know, b- people complaining about the quota system for fictional superheroes, or mm-hmm. you know, his their per- their perceptions that he's trying to, you know, that he has a, a black agenda or something like that. He he sort of talked with all of that with such um i guess measured good humor and lack of hostility or animosity that it kind of soothed me a little bit but Mm -hmm. frankly my first response when finding out that Dwayne mcduffie was dead part of the reason why it hit so hard is i felt that the last couple of years he he always ended up cut off in the knees in comics Yes. Yes. And that pissed me off. I sort of, you know, and I think you sort of have this way of kind of assuming, well, he'll get a shot, you know, and now he now he never will. Yeah, that that was that was partially my. I I was really surprised by how much it affected me yesterday, because Mm -hmm. I liked McDuffie's writing. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. say I was like the world's biggest Dwayne McDuffie fan, but um, I was really shaken up by the news of his death. And I, I really had this moment of, like, I don't even know why I'm so shaken up by this. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But no, there, there really was. He ended up being horrifically unlucky mm-hmm. um, that he'd get projects, which... It's funny, because I was writing up for Techland, and I was like, you know, in the last three years, he's written for Justice League, both of which seem like high-profile gigs. Right. But he didn't really get to do... Like, in Fantastic War was a fill-in. Mm-hmm. Justice League might as well have been a fill-in for exactly. all the freedom he got. Yeah. Um, and it's it's kind of sad. It's kind of sad to think, like, you know, that, that, that was what he got in the end. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no, believe me. Like I said, I, you, you know, you say sad, but I say angry. I was really pissed off. I was pissed off to me. I was pissed off when Dan DiDio, like, offered his little, you know, 
I, 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 thought, I thought that came across as really disingenuous. Yeah, I, me too, because I was, you know, and I, I did, had, not that I was, I think yesterday was probably the most active I'd ever been on Twitter in like a long time, just sort of generally because of the way um, work at my day job shaked out. But I didn't really see anything, any sort of official response from Marvel for that matter. And that pissed me off too. It was very much, I, I think everyone in those situations for the most part would have been on the can't win side of my list. Like I, but, I did feel that he was disingenuous. Here's the thing. And this is almost like a flip side to you. I got angry about the response from so many people online saying things like, like I saw someone say, what are we going to do without Dwayne McDuffie? And I was kind of like, fuck you because right. it's not as if he's been a major force or he's been allowed to be a major force at any point. And so many right. people are saying stuff like it wasn't Watchmen that showed me what you could do with superheroes. It was damage control. And it's like, you're a lying sack of shit. Or like, you may be honest, but the more people I see say that, I don't believe it. Because right. damage control has been out of print for mm-hmm. fucking years. Yeah, and, and where where have been the online petitions? For yeah, that? and where have been... But where also, has anyone said that before? Right. When he was alive, when did anyone say that? Right. Right, I agree. And so, yeah, so... I can see being upset at, at everyone's reaction. I didn't, because the thing that's ironic is I am pretty. I, I'm I'm probably lower on the scale than you are as far as far as a, a McDuffie fan goes. You know, in that I followed. I had Damage Control. I liked it okay. You know, I thought I I was really impressed with his reboot of Deathlock, which I thought was really thoughtful. And I thought it kind of all sort of fell to pieces pretty quickly after that. In a in a but in a overly ambitious young guy kind of way, I I was totally um, pathetic when it came to following up on the. um, icon books. So, you oh, know... The, the, the milestone stuff was wonderful. That was when I really got into McDuffie. Uh, right. Just because, first of all, there was so much that he was doing at the same time. You know, he did Icon mm-hmm. at the same time because he was writing Icon and Hardware and co-writing the first issues of Blood Syndicate and Static. Wow. And then he co-wrote, I think, the first issue, maybe, of Shadow Cabinet. Mm-hmm. Uh, while also being the editor-in-chief of the whole thing. Right, I mean, you know, that's I mean, kind that, of amazing. That, and he wasn't old when he did that. Do you know what I mean? No, 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 exactly. <laughs> um, and and that, so, and a lot of that was um, reworking tropes. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, Icon's essentially Superman. Hardware's mm-hmm. essentially Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Static is definitely Spider Man. Like, right. really, really clearly, Static is Spider Man. Um, but it was all. For my money, at the time, it was all better than those characters actually were. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Static mm-hmm. especially was Spider-Man done right. Static was, to my mind, Ultimate Spider-Man years, like a decade before Ultimate Spider-Man. Right. Right. I, well, and when I say right, right, I mean, I have heard such. And you're you're I, right. I, I believe that might be possible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because I didn't read them. So, I mean, I definitely want to put this sort of in the proper framework. And like I said, there may be an element of me that there, there's some transference going on. Because looking back at those things, in a way, you know, you could say that McDuffie had a shot, had his moment in the in the spotlight, and then moved on to other things. And really, it's no different. His, his run, arguably, isn't any longer... 
uh, in comics um, than a lot of other guys who get their shot and do sort of what people think of as mid-level work and then just sort of fade away as they end up like writing for animation or something like that. Um, yeah, but and, that's just know, like it's not even like he faded away writing for animation. He was the executive producer of Ben Ten, right? Do you know what I mean? Like that—that's yeah. not an unsuccessful show. Well, exactly. I mean, even Justice League Unlimited was huge, and and honestly, I think that's one of the that is a huge influence. I think that like I honestly feel that McDuffie's influence on comics is going to be felt indirectly through Justice League. Oh Unlimited. yeah, de- definitely, definitely. And yeah. I think I think it's that work that got him the jobs both on Justice League of America and Fantastic Four. To be honest with you, more than I anything agree. else he'd done yeah. before, it was that right. he was the producer and writer of Justice League. Yeah. Yeah. And and then the fact that he kind of got the shaft. Like, at the time, I I was super frustrated because I, I picked up the first couple of issues of the Fantastic Four. It wasn't my thing, but I was like, okay, you know, he's got a solid enough oh, you should, grasp on you the should, characters and where it's it. going. It's, mm-hmm. You should revisit, especially in light of everyone who's done it afterwards. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it went from him to Miller to... No, yeah, it was. Think, it was him, yeah. Miller, then, then Hickman. I, for some reason, right. thought JMS was in, or after that. I think JMS, JMS was, was before, right before yeah. him. Yeah. yeah, and so he stepped in after JMS, and I thought his first two or three jobs were, first two or three issues, were really strong. And like you said, there's that thing where Reed's got the room full of equations or whatever, and I thought that was fucking awesome and has been a cornerstone for the work going forward. I think I can see him as an influence on Hickman's stuff, I think. You know? Definitely, but like at the same time, he was also doing the Beyond series for for Marvel, the the sort of secret mini Secret Wars sequel, right? Which is really good. Yeah, it was. It was a good, fun comic. It was Scott Collins' art. I I had all the issues of it. I thought it did. You know, I think my only complaint was that Gravity ended up dying in it, and he, you know, at the time, McDuffie was like, "I've got plans. Don't worry about it. Well, you know, it's but, in the bag." But that's just it. Gravity did come back in his Fantastic Four. Right, exactly. So he actually, so, I mean, like he actually mm-hmm. did. It's the old school. It's something like Steve Englehart would have done in the seventies. Do you know what I mean? Like yes. start only one book, leave the book, and then all right. of a sudden it continues in another series. Yeah, exactly. You pick up the characters, you put them in down there, and then if you've got it, you know, if you get booted off that book, and suddenly he's in, you know, it's up to Master of Kung Fu to help, you know, finish up this continuation. Well, you know, that's what it takes. No, I totally appreciated all those things about him. At the same time, I also felt like, I guess there was this thing of like, okay, this isn't for me. I'll just, but then he was gone. You know, it was like, it wasn't like he got like another shot. It was like, okay, boom. And I just kind of felt like that was the way that it went in the industry. And on top of having to deal with a bunch of, you know, bigoted idiots on, on top of which, um, you know, I was really, really pissed. I when he when finding out that he he died, I was really angry because I I honestly did feel like, in the back of my mind, it's like sooner or later he's going to get his break. He's going to get another shot at things. You know, it also kind of stung that I know that, that you know at least the initial word of mouth that I was hearing about the All Star Superman. Um, movie was that a lot of people didn't like it i think including you right including yeah and i have this really weird reaction to it which essentially comes down to if i didn't love the original book so much i'd probably like the cartoon a lot better right um the problem with all sorts of man the movie for me is that it's a really it's a perfectly fine superman lex Luthor story 
but it drops so much out they made all star superman all star superman and it also it, it basically cuts it way back he loses like half the series well sure because i mean uh, it's like it's 12 issues and then it's a two-hour movie so yeah it kinda really it, he basically cuts it. everything out that doesn't directly relate to the superman likes luther through line mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the problem is he also cuts out some things that actually do relate and set up stuff um and so all of a sudden things just happen mm-hmm. um that don't really don't really have the resonance because they don't come from anywhere in the same way that they do in the book. Right. Uh, and he also loses some things that I just thought made all sorts of men really special. For example, the Kandor plot is essentially cut down to one scene and does not include the Kandorians going into Superman or then going on to cure cancer. Right. Which I, th- I think is really important. The whole Reagan suicide scene does not happen. Um, but more importantly for the, for the through line he chose the future telescope is seen but is mm-hmm. it's thrown away as a i'm fighting dark side in the future as opposed to like in the book it specifically sets up that superman knows about solaris right and that's how he knows to create like the suit that saves him from the red sun whereas in the movie he just somehow has that suit mm-hmm. and so when solaris shows up he's like hey lex luther secret partners here and you're like how did you know about him <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, what happened? Yeah, 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 and exactly. Also, he, he makes changes like um, Superman is not the one who gives Quintum the DNA, his DNA. Mm-hmm. Lex Luthor works out his DNA sequence and gives it to Quintum after Superman is dead. Which, Which is actually one of the few changes I'm, I would be okay with, honestly. Is like, he, I, I like it and I don't like it. I like it because it sort of backs up Lex Luthor's uh, redemption at the end of the film, or at the end of the story. Mm-hmm. But I really don't like it because when Superman does it, it is Superman explicitly addressing the fact that he will never have a child with Lois. Oh, nice. And that is gone in the, the film. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just gone. Whereas Superman actually, like, he comes out and says it in the book. You know, we could never have children. But he says it after you've already seen him give the DNA to Quintum. Interesting. So he I is, hadn't made that connection. So he is saying, like, we can't do this, but at the same time, he knows that it will happen. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Whereas in the movie, that it happens after Superman dies, and Lex is like, here's his DNA, but you'll have to find a woman with a working womb. And it's just, there's something much cheaper about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, or yeah. The, the, Solaris, right. Solaris actually gets killed in the film. Right, which is another huge mistake. It, and um, it, it's, it's literally the removal of one line, but it changes everything. Right, right. Because in the comic, Solaris says mercy and Superman says you'll live. Very clear. Mm-hmm. And in movies, uh, Solaris says mercy and Superman says I have nothing left to give. Right. And it's like, no. <laughs> no, I know. It's a, it's a horrible change. I mean, that change right there is like having read about that. I'm like, oh, my God, that's atonally wrong. Um, yeah. And, and, and so what it is, is All-Star Superman becomes a – if All-Star Superman was – the script of the live action movie mm-hmm. everyone would be like oh my god this is such a great live action movie right. um there's just something about the cartoon that does not work it also helps that like or rather doesn't help that the animation is not great mm-hmm. um the voice acting is not great right and so yeah, what, yeah. what you're left with is like if you've never read the book chances are you'll love it mm-hmm. if you've mm-hmm. read the book I would be very surprised how you could not be disappointed in it. Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I it makes sense. So again, it's kind of it, it's kind of a 
following on that on the heels of like I said of, of hearing like what what sounded like a relatively anticipated um, animated movie uh, hearing about McDuffie's death kind of had that extra stab of like ah you know it's not like you it's not like you go out at the at the height you yeah you want, just you want go to out at the top and I, like I actually felt guilty for saying negative things about the, the movie in the tech mm-hmm. piece of my life yesterday mm-hmm. as a result in a way that I wouldn't normally do you know what I mean? It's right. just like, you know, I didn't like it. That's fine. Whereas, like, right. all of a sudden when you're saying you don't like something and the guy said, you're like, oh, my God. Right. Like, yeah. Like, I, I feel so bad as if, like, somehow I had killed him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it was – it's uh, – I don't know. Well, and I, again, I'm really grateful for – because I spent – because the other thing I jumped to was kind of like – uh, hearing that he died of a, a health complication, you know, I was re- like I said, I was really quick to overreact and jump on the oh those motherfuckers. He probably was completely uninsured because of the. I'm sure working through Warner and Warner Animation. I mean, I shouldn't say that because as far as I know, that animation writers still aren't are still exempt to like the Writers Guild of America or the Screenwriters Guild. Sorry, so I don't I don't think that he could have had health insurance through the Screenwriters Guild. I assume that maybe he had it through something else, but he may not. It, you know, and it's that idea of like, wow, did he die because of basically shitty freelancer non-insurance? You know, which is the thing that's kind of been one well, one I, of the secret I, shames of the industry forever. I, I could be wrong, but didn't he die from complications from surgery? Yeah, complications. Which from which, which is really um, like is a really touchy subject for me because my mother died from complications of surgery so oh, i'm like oh like literally i was reading that i was like oh fucking surgery yeah <laughs> curse you surgery no really I, I i like i just have the suspicion of surgery mm-hmm. interesting i for me it's really so much of the yeah the conditions of what happened it does seem like why would that even be the case but you know i don't know it, it, it we don't know enough and so i realized i was definitely sort of painting a lot of my frustration with the industry generally. Because like I said, seeing that seeing that video of, of McDuffie talking, I'm like, you know what? The guy's got a thick, thick skin, you know? He's got the he's got the freelancer skin and then some. Because he seems incredibly good natured. I was bu- bummed that he'd gotten canned for, you know, speaking candidly about, you know, his situation at DC. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was just pissed. I was like the fact that Dwayne McDuffie is dead and, you know, is never going to get that chance to sort of, you know, come around and really have the good streak. You mm-hmm. know, for me, there was this undercurrent of, yeah, this is everything that's wrong with the, the, the thing that pisses me off about that in particular is that um, his last published comic was the Milestone Forever thing from DC. Which right. he he was very vocal about, like they fucked mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. and it just feels like that's that's all, like that's pretty much from maybe the first closure of Milestone, oh uh, uh, Milestone, mm-hmm. um, like that's all he got from comics. <laughs> he yeah. just got continually fucked. Exactly, exactly, and I'm really pissed at that because it's, I'm really pissed at that. So yeah, that's what that was my when you asked about it. It was like yesterday I just stayed off of Twitter. I was talking about other stuff because I just didn't want to address the idea of, you know, I just didn't want to go ballistic on Twitter. I don't think it would have served any good whatsoever. 
but just like, yeah, things are kind of fucked. And these guys, these companies sort of fucked them over and now he's dead and he gets no second shot at it. And, you know, and no, and nothing's going to change. It would have been very entertaining to see Eagle Ballistic Twitter. Look at it that way. It would have served some purpose. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I think it's going to, again, I feel like, you know, like they're, you know, the, the, the professionals in this industry, the people who have broken in, who have established levels, you know, they sort of, they know the score. It, it, it It's hard for me to like, I spend a lot of time thinking that the, the industry is the way it is because enough people get it enough out of it that they don't want it they don't want it to change and that's that's just the way that it is so and and i mean in a way i feel like comics is such a bellwether for the way that the rest of <laughs> the way the rest of the american job industry is going you know where it's always been that idea of oh you don't want to do it we got like 300 people who are dying to do it you know i mean the video game industry is built off of ridiculous amount you know it's huge amounts of profit and i mean it it's incredibly high budget but you get tons you know there's tons of people working and it's all not unionized and they won't ever have a shot at it and horrible horrible crunch times and people are treated wretchedly because because they can because there's hundreds of people who want to do what they do at at any given moment you know and uh so I, I definitely found myself getting into this, like, the bitter spite hole uh, uh, about, you know, the state of things. Uh, and I and like I said, not having been that really, uh, you know, I, I followed McDuffie enough to keep, keep an eye out for him and to check out whenever, for the most part, when he did new stuff. But I, you know, I'm not, I'm not like his biggest fan and I didn't feel like a, you know somebody punched a hole in the middle of my heart, but I did end up like really, really angry about it. And I, I do wonder to what extent that's me, you know, taking some of my own frustrations for where I'm at or where I'm not at and kind of conveniently pinning it on, you know, transferring it to the dead guy. So. Um, I'm kind of like, <laughs> wow. So moving on from that right topic, we went what the incredibly depressing yeah, edition. exactly. The bitter edition. <laughs> We've always been a little bitter. Hey, do you want me to uh, ask you the first question I got asked on uh, on Twitter after I said there were some questions, which will lighten the mood incredibly? Absolutely. Alison Baker, the um, wife of Chris Robertson, mm-hmm. uh, asked, how is it that you guys are so full of awesome inqu- inquiring minds want to know? <laughs> I then gave her a response. I also told her that um, my response, by the way, was that you milk the awesome tree every day and then send me twice weekly packages of awesome to eat. Uh, <laughs> and then said that we don't answer flattering questions. Yes. And her, her response to that was, I will not be disqualified in all caps. <laughs> so, Jeff. I really like Alison. Alison will not be disqualified. How is it that I'm just going to leave it at you? How is it that you are so full of awesome? Uh, I don't think that it is me. Like, in theory, <laughs> at best, we have some sort of weird Voltron awesomeness. Um, God, isn't that great? 
Which one also is my new series that I'm pitching to folks. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I would have to say humility that keeps us um, from even being able to, to, to try and answer a question like this without stammering and, and feeling like unbelievable pretenders. And do you want me to tell you the wonderful fallout from David is a Mary? Yes. Why are you guys such fucking illiterate, uneducated, drooling dumbasses? <laughs> that one's so much easier to answer. Exactly. I could go I on told, for like I told, 20 I told, minutes. I told him that we would answer that one. Yeah, hopefully at length. It's like, uh, okay, like I'm not sure if we can fit this all in one podcast, but speaking for myself, I blame my video game addiction, my shortening attention span, uh, there's something else. <laughs> my inability to remember lists. Oh my god, uh, that was so great. <laughs> completely unintentional. This was spectacular. <laughs> oh, there's something else. <laughs> wow. Thanks, I'm world. going to go now. <laughs> mm. And yourself, Graham? Let's hear your answer. See, why am I fucking illiterate? Uh, probably because I grew up reading comics. <laughs> So, uneducated, probably because I grew up reading comics. Uh, drooling, because I'm getting old, and sometimes oh. you just, you know, your mouth doesn't close properly. Uh, and dumbasses, again, because I grew up reading comics. Mm-hmm. Thanks very much, everyone. I actually remember when I was in ooh, my first year of high school that uh, my English teacher expressed displeasure with what I was reading. Uh, and I can't even remember what book it was I was reading, but like they had a, you know, this hour you will be reading personal reading time i have no idea what book it was i was reading but i remember she expressed displeasure that i was reading it uh and the displeasure was phrased in a you have to read more serious things if you read these like fantasy based things you know you'll never do anything with your life and i'd just like to say that she was probably entirely right yeah whatevs (laughs) like i think you've managed to make an okay living for yourself without having to teach scottish children so I think that that's like a huge oh, leap wow. up. Seriously? <laughs> that's where you're going? <laughs> no, no, no. I was going for children, and then I thought I would swerve and sort of smack no, no, at no, Scottish no, I, children. I, no, I'm saying, like, that poor woman, she gave part of her life to, to teach us completely dumbass kids. Ah, she couldn't find a real job, Graham. Hey, Come on. Hey, so you forget, my dad was a teacher. So, oh, I had no so step off here, my friend. Also, so correct it to correct. I didn't know. I didn't know that he was a teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, my dad was a teacher, too. So that's why I felt like perfectly comfortable saying this. But because I figured I was only attacking my own bloodline. No, no, really, your, your dad was a teacher. Yeah, my dad was an English teacher. I had no idea. Um, really? Yeah. When I was a uh, like a kid kid, uh, mm-hmm. I would, as I believe every kid who grew up reading comics would, would like draw my own comics and my own superhero series and everything mm-hmm. and i remember like i would always ask my dad like what should this character be called and he's always go always come up with these like entirely wonderful looking back on it but horrifically wrong when you're like five names for characters <laughs> and i'd be like whatever <laughs> like, well, do you remember some of the names here i really don't the only one i remember was he wanted for like a bad a bad guy superhero team to be called black mist that's it it's the only black one menace Black Mist, M-I-S. Oh, Black Mist. Oh, I see. And that, that's the only one I remember. Like, he'd always give me these names, and I'd be like, no, I want, like, <laughs> evil guy. <laughs> uh, 
my. And so I learned once again through one of my like tragic faux pas. Uh, this is great. I had no idea. Yeah, my dad actually taught uh, microbiology. So wow, see that's that's wonderful. That's really that that makes me think that you're you're like smart by genetics. Yeah, no, it seems to be some sort of recessive thing. Because uh, <laughs> seriously, it was, if it I was ever a kid. They're going to be so fucking smart. Yeah, they they'll be on it. But no, I mean, one of the most mortifying things was uh, that in high school, all of my hard science classes, I was fortunate enough to have a friend who was a the you know the son of another science teacher, and he was awesome. But like biology, chemistry, all that, I couldn't. I I fucked up every experiment, and I mean literally every experiment. I can't I can't measure anything. I can't actively like everything like that you would always have like the here's here's what you're supposed to do here are your results i would do everything that they said and it's all been transmuted to shit like it was unbelievable how bad i was at every step of the sciences even even scientific thinking i essentially am uh, uh, um you know subscribe to the school of magical thinking in every situation oh i i i um, was and am still um, remarkably bad at scientific thinking, but I remember, especially when I was doing I nine, that I would get fascinated by like new discoveries in science. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, you know, we have discovered that blah 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 might happen, and I'd be like, holy crap, that's amazing, and I wouldn't really understand it. Right. But like, you know, the headline would be whatever. You know, life, water has been found on Mars, therefore life might exist on Mars, and I would automatically jump to. Oh, mother of God, people lived on Mars thousands of years ago. <laughs> well, to me, the thing the thing that really that I am grateful for is the knowledge that, like, when it's done correctly, scientific thinking is kind of one of the greatest gifts that you can sort of give, like, civilization. You know, the idea of you come up with a hypothesis, you figure out ways to test for the hypothesis, you figure out what would discredit the hypothesis, and you test against that. Like, Mm -hmm. the idea of scientific rigorousness is really remarkable. And if uh, the United States was willing to at all you know, not engage in hysterical faith-based, you know, uh, panicking, um, you know, it might actually help us. So here's a question. So. You, you were no good at scientific thinking back then. Where do you stand in that sort of thing now? Like, I, I like I said, I'm no good at scientific thinking, but I am obsessed with things like Radiolab or Nova, where mm-hmm. essentially people put scientific concepts into easily-to-understand ways for me. Like Radiolab, I... I love the fact that it will explain the universe to me essentially in the form of a story and I, I will become smarter through it. Are, are you the same or, or not at all? I'm not and I'm going to lay it squarely at the feet of Penthouse Magazine. You know? Okay. Un- <laughs> unexpected. And let me tell you why. Because back in the 70s and I think even through the 80s, um, for whatever reason, Bob Guccione, um, in addition to doing Penthouse Magazine, also published Omni Magazine, which was, yes. you know, science yeah. magazine. The fact that they used the same font and the same design uh, and even, like, sort of the same column spacing, like, it made it impossible for me to pay attention. I swear to God, every time I picked up Omni magazine, I started flipping through it looking for, you know, those gauzy naked bordello photos. Like, I just couldn't, 
somehow I think my attention span was always wrecked by um, the the promise of incipient nudity. And I, I would like to say this is why I still don't have a subscription to Wired Magazine uh, or listen to Radio Lab. Or no, I'm basically as amazing and remarkable as the as the scientific world is. Apart from paying attention to whatever people are talking about on the web, I don't really track that stuff nearly enough. And oh, it's Jeff, Lester, listen to Radio Lab. Radio Lab will. Have you ever heard an episode? Yes, I think I, I think I have, and I, I remember enjoying it tremendously. Yes, you should listen to it on a regular basis. Everyone who's listening to this, Radio Lab is a. I want to say it's now gone down to like one episode a month. Uh, it's a podcast. It's actually a radio show from America. I, I also say NPR, but I know there's also American public media, and the two of them, I don't understand how they fit together. Um, it's a free podcast. It is spectacular. It will tell you all manner of crazy, wonderful things about the world that will make you just love existence. And you should listen. And Jeff should listen. Everyone should listen. Ah, there's there's always the goofus and gallant portion of our show, and it just seems to be getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Where it's like you ask me a question, I go no, and you go, oh Jeff, <laughs> <laughs> and then and then comes the listeners, and then I'm like I'm like oh man, this has happened again. Like someday I'll be able to flip this on you, and it probably won't. And as we just saw in my previous example, I'd be like, so Graham, have you read the latest Penthouse Forum magazine? <laughs> Oh, Graham. You know, it's like... <laughs> I've never read an issue of Penthouse Forum, Jeff, so there you go. You can do it, oh, Graham. I haven't read anything recently. Maybe it's changed up. Uh, Does it still exist? I mean, I, I honestly would... Mm-hmm. I think so. I think so, okay. yeah. I, think, I mean, you know, Penthouse Forum magazine? Yeah, I think so. It's like a little digest size sort of thing. It's amazing that it sort of survived, like, the internet. That's but, why I was uh, saying I was, I was surprised it's so Well, you know... What can I say? Like there are times that sort of when that thing always survives. Is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Basically, I mean, it, as long as the the overhead's low enough, and I think with Penthouse, they're probably recycling the stories now. You know, it's like those DC hundred page giants where like Superman's like breaking up bootleggers, and you're like eight, and you're like, what? What is this? Or you know, <laughs> someone wins a radio contest, and you're like, radio? I you know, like you were talking about like the current DC hundred page spectaculars. <laughs> Like the 799 ones that are reprinting things from, like, 1992. Yeah, right. No, 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 I'm sorry. I mean, like, <laughs> Did you not read the spectacular Green Lantern one that they launched it? Mean, no, 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 no. Because they're, like, they're obviously, like, Green Lantern's a really big name. Let's hook people in with Green Lantern. And it's, like, from the end of John Winnick's run. <laughs> and, you know, with all due respect to everyone involved, those were not memorable comics. And when you put four together... You're kind of left with like 100 pages of unmemorable as opposed to, this is great, I got my money's worth for this. <laughs> it really was like, wow, this is not convincing me that I made a smart purchase. <laughs> In fact, it seems to be convincing me of the opposite. Uh, so you realize like, why Green Lantern got cancelled and how short got brought back though, because that was happening month after month. And I say this as a massive Green Lantern fan. Holy mother. You know, we've gone through this before. I swear to God, you and I have, like, argued about... I, I actually thought Judd Winnick's run was... Uh, it got a, it got a little burdened down by the Claremontisms, admittedly. But it, 
it was okay. It was readable, frankly. I oh, thought no, I thought no. the Mars to Winnick transition was okay. You, you know, you must. Oh no, but this is the end of John Winnick's run. We'll see. That's it's it. Like and I in don't space, know. like when they're in space, and he's like, "I want to marry you," and she's like, "I'm so excited." And then, like twenty pages later, she's like, "We can never marry." Why? Because, like, <laughs> and in the middle, like, there's a like Star Trek light story where it's like, "I have blue skin, you have green skin, we will fight." We should not fight. We are so close on the spectrum. Uh, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> Graham's great. He's like, no, I've read the classics. This should be about Green Lantern sleeping with a 12-year-old girl in an 18-year-old girl's body. Yeah, which she magically aged herself into, and no one finds that creepy. I thought everyone found it creepy except Steve Englehart. That was the problem. Oh, no. What's like, the point? What's the point that Englehart like meant it to be creepy? I know all of a sudden like everyone's creeped out for like an issue, and then they're like, "Well, she must have really wanted it." Yeah, okay. pretty much. See, that's it. I was like, it was the least convincing creepiness. Like, because everybody was like, "Well, is there really a problem with this?" No, she seems to like him. Oh, okay. Like, I mean, it was. It was like two panel transitions. Like, you guys bone your brains out. You know, it was like, wow, what is no like. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I really was like, a, this is, there is no way that this is a good thing. Right, exactly. I, I guess I, you, was it, did we figure out that I was in college and you were in high school when this was going on? Uh, that would be issues? about, I'm not even sure I would have been in high school. Cause I don't know. I think like, you, right. I think I, I was in high school. Yeah, during it was, those it was like 86, 87. So I, I wouldn't have been in high school. I would have been like 10 years old. Holy shit. I keep forgetting. Like, cause I would have been in college and you weren't even in high school. Oh. <laughs> I'm so old. This is the other thing. I don't remember what people were talking about on Twitter, but I was like, oh, fuck. I'm it was, old. was it when Allison and I, and I want to say it was Mary, were talking about our first concerts? Yes. Oh, yeah. my God. That was like a fucking no, but, nightmare. But you, you completely won that conversation. My first concert By... was Johnny Cash. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, we can all go home now. Jabs Johnny Cash at eight years old. I know. I, I can take no credit for it. It was great. Oh, no, you, you guys take all the credits. Me. Come on. <laughs> No, no, you know what I mean? Like, credit is when you, like, see it in the paper and you're like, I want to go to that show, you know, and which was exactly and precisely what my dad did said. There you go. And I went, you know? It again, wasn't like... Again, through genetics, you get the credit. Ugh, well, thank you. I, okay, I'm, you know... I'm moving on to the next question. Yes. Uh, David Brothers asks lots of things, so let's just try and get through these quickly. Old comics <laughs> you've read recently and found a new appreciation for. Oh man, that's a perfect question for me. What uh, do you do? You want to start, or I, I feel I, you've been reading more interesting old comics than I have recently. I don't know about interesting. Well, uh, I, I've, I mean, I've not read anything significantly old that I didn't already have appreciation for. I mean, yeah, the I mean, closest thing I could say is um, like the Vision of Scarlet Witch series I read in collection because you were like, "It's insane," and I read it and thought, "It's insane." It's <laughs> fucking spectacular. Um, <laughs> The, I mean, the closest I, I could come, like, this past week is I was reading through the Showcase Presents Justice League of America Volume 4. Because Volume 5 comes out today, and I'm ridiculously excited. But I realized I never finished Volume 4. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, which is the, the problem with, like, these massive books. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I definitely finished it. And then all of a sudden, I'm reading, like, Dennis O'Neill writing out The Martian Manhunter in, like, the most insane retcon ever. That if anyone tried it today... Like, they would be run out of the comics industry by the internet. <laughs> that kind of happened a lot with Denny O'Neill. But, I mean, I, do, have you read? Like, did you Not... read this Justice League? Okay, so basically, this is this is the retcon 
that um, Danny O'Neill does in one issue. In fact, he does it all, like, this is all exposition in, like, two pages. The Martian Manhunter um, was brought to Earth as, like, by Dr. Ergul or whatever his name is, as everyone knew. However, before that, he was the military leader of a civil war on Mars. Oh, boy. It gets better. While he was gone, oh, he had been exiled, by the way. Uh, so he could have returned to Mars at any point just by reversing the machine, but he didn't because he was in exile. Then when his 13-year exile was up, he went back to find <laughs> out that the his enemy in the Martian like Civil War had was trying to kill all the other Martians because he had sold Mars to another alien race who would only buy it if it was unpopulated. Seriously. Um, oh. And it's like, it's classic late 60s Denny O'Neill because the story is called something like, And So My World Dies, which is said in a caption by Marshman Hunter, like kneeling and holding his head in his hands. And he actually. I was about to say, I think they actually used that panel and that title on every DC issue for but, that year. Didn't but they? the better is, he actually does that twice. Sorry, <laughs> at the end of the story, as if Denny O'Neill's like, hey, you might not have noticed. This is deep shit, okay? Um, yeah, it's it's kind of amazing and terrible, but I love like that era and like the the Bob Haney, uh, Brave and Bold, and everything that oh, are yeah. they're like really trying to ape Marvel, mm-hmm. but doing it really badly. Yeah, <laughs> so really missing it. Entirely different thing altogether. Yeah, yeah, which is kind of great. It's like that weird, like, when you're a kid and instead of, like, the real ice cream, like, your parents get you, like, the generic brand ice cream and it tastes weird and maybe there's, like, strange, like, bits of industrial crap in it or something. Yeah, exactly, yeah. DC Comics, like, by the late 90s, by the late 90s, late 60s even, had turned into ice cream with weird bits of industrial machinery in it. Yeah, it really did. And weirdly enough, after, like, a couple of tubs of it, like you're like I kind of like it. Like it's oh god, you know, yeah. Seriously, the the just you know? books and the Brave and Bold books are just classics. I mean, I was I was reading the Brave and Bold uh, showcase the other day, and I realized first of all, if I was ever to break into DC Comics, I would want mm-hmm. to do an issue of Batman Inc. that just was straight up Bob Haney doing Brave and Bold. Like would yeah. even end with Miss It Never. Yes, miss <laughs> like, it never. Like, yeah, yeah, I love that. Thing. I, I mean, yeah. there's, there's you, mu- you must have the uh, showcase Brave and Bold, right? Because yeah, yeah, like so you. all, all uh, three volumes of them or yeah, something. I the, love them. The yeah. team up with Aquaman that ends with Batman, like with Commissioner Gordon and Batman talking about Aquaman. Commissioner Gordon's like he's kind of weird, and Batman's like you could say he's beautiful. So <laughs> 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 it's. it's he, he, he writes such like his own Batman. Like his own Batman is this weird, like old hippie who's ridiculously passionate and will lose his shit when he gets yeah. really excited about something. Like you're just yeah. slapping people, being like, "Oh my god, you've got to confess! You're not gonna hurt that girl!" And like everyone else is pulling Batman up, and he's like, "You don't understand. I care so much." That I, mean, I know it's is, great. It's amazing. But also, the... Haney then does like weird attempts at relevance, which. Awesome! Like the real world. Awesome! Like the story yeah. where Green Lantern defects and Batman has to go and get him, and Batman gets like brainwashed. Yes, that is such a great <laughs> so episode. Great. I mean, it's hilarious. Batman is shooting Green Lantern, and Green Lantern's like, 
Oh my god, he's completely gone over. He's gone over the dark side. I've got to save him. Luckily, I know. my ring is like hidden in a bowl of water or something. <laughs> I, I can do that. <laughs> and then, like, he rescued Batman. Batman's like, I didn't defect. I almost defected, but I realized that gun would have been empty, so I shot you, and everything's okay. Yeah. And then it's like, thank God they beat the communists, but we haven't beat the communists. Come back next month, miss it never. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Some love it ever, miss it never. Yes. What, what's the first part of it? It's a couplet that way, right? Uh, it's not always like towards the end. He really does just to like come back to the day, say you're brave and bold, miss it never. Oh, okay. Because because there was some there, weird. There, like, there is like a love it ever, miss it never. Yeah, and then he boils it down because he's like, ah, that's too wordy. No, I love the other thing that's amazing to me is is that Bob Haney's totally like. It's it's like he writes Batman like Batman was like uh I don't know like Steve Canyon or Dick Tracy or something like yeah that. Really you know what I mean like really weird non Batman Batman who is simultaneously the most Batman Batman ever I know I know which really is beautiful it's like Batman they need you over in Europe and then they show Batman dressed as Batman getting onto like a seven forty seven and then like checking his passport and like stamping it and then him like. In his Batman uniform, like, you know, drinking a martini, like, in first class, going, what will Europe hold for me, I wonder? And it's just like, <laughs> what? I, I... There's also a great story where Plastic Man, like, Batman, for some reason, has to go out of town. And instead of just going out of town, he's like, Plastic Man, you've got to pretend to be me. And wow. then Plastic Man believes he is Batman mm-hmm. and goes after Bruce Wayne. And... Mm-hmm. There's one point where Batman's like, I can't explain to anyone why I was out of town without blowing my secret identity. And it's like, no, at no point did you tell Plastic Man that you're Bruce Wayne. Right. You went to him as Batman and asked him as Batman to replace you as Batman. (laughs) (laughs) There's no problem here at all. Okay. You're also missing, and this this is the one that I think blew my mind uh, permanently when I read it, is the amazing one where... Batman dies and Adam reanimates his body by jumping up and down in his yes, brain yes. and makes him solve his last crime as a corpse. That's a fucking astonishing story. I'm so glad I didn't read that when I was eight years old because it would have haunted me for fucking life. But there's also, that... one, there's also one where Batman meets the ghost of his dead parents, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And, totally. and they're like, you're doing well, Bruce. And he's like, thank God I put the ghost of my parents to rest. But yeah, wait, that way I've missed out the best part of it. They, they're in hell. Yes. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. I forgot that part. Yeah, the early part is they're like in fucking eternal torment or whatever, and he's like, "What?" Yeah, no. There's that. There's the one where he has to spend the night. The hunted man, or no, he's like creeped out by like the kid who's like his heir who might be possessed by the devil. Like, I mean, there's so much like any anything that was at all a trend. It was like, hey. Bob, uh, looks like roller disco's big. Can you do something with that? Absolutely. Like, exactly. I, was... he would. Oh, and, and yeah, and no, and all, the results were amazing. Every single time the Teen Titans appear in Brave and Bold, yeah. it's the greatest thing ever. Oh, it is. It is awesome. Yeah, that whole thing where it's like the youth are revolting against the adults, and there's some sort of like mad bomber thing, or or, or is it the teens take over one section of the city and kick out all the adults and Batman? I want to. I want to the... say that both of those plots actually happened because he definitely did at least two Teen Titans. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Guesses, and maybe where, a third, where the yeah, plot initially. is. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to the kids, but the kids wouldn't listen to me because I'm too square. Robin, you're kind of cool, and Robin's like, sure thing, Batman. And then it's all will be like. Batman is a square. 
It's it's so great. And that's part is people who have never read these stories but are listening to this will be like, they're making all that shit up. They're making all of this up. And I, I can say no. Like, seriously, if you want, like, a, a like cheap, like, unbridled joy by the pound, those those three showcase Brave and the Bolds are amazing. And also amazing is the art transition because by the time it ends up with um, Jim, uh, uh, Jim Aparo, whose art I just love. I mean, to me, he, 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 like, out, he's like out Neil Adams, Neil Adams. Oh, he re- at that point, he really is. Like, he's yeah. so Neil Adams. Because I, I, you know, by the time I'm reading Aparo as a kid, like, that mm-hmm. kind of point passed and he was like, just Jim Aparo. Right. Do you know what I mean? But at that point, like there are panels where you're just like, holy crap, it's Neil Adams, especially in the Sergeant Rock stories. Oh, yeah. Sergeant oh, Rock yeah. stories, you're like, wow, it's almost like he's channeling Neil Adams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very consciously. And yet he, he does, he, he like ran that, you know, gamut without missing a deadline for like longer. And, you know, he took those dynamics and, oh man, the, the art just looks beautiful. I mean, I really do. Like, his his Commissioner Gordon is pretty much like the definitive oh, commissioner. when I was a kid, um, mm-hmm. Jim Empire's Batman was Batman. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think for, so for, for me for too. Years, mm-hmm. For years. I honestly yeah. can't think when it changed. But definitely, mm-hmm. like, I was a teenager before I was like, other Batman are okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah and no, leading up I, to I, it, it was I, like... just amazing. Yeah, agreed. So, um... Well, that's okay. So, actually, you know, you've not, you've not said what your old comics are. That I, I completely got so into my old comics. He's not talked yet. No, no, no. Which is which is wonderful. Uh, so, uh, I'm I'm reading like Amazing Spider-Man. I'm up to I don't know, like issue one seventy. I wish I had my iPad in hand so I could tell you. It's kind of not really knocking me out. Like Jerry Conway left, Len Wein came in, and I like Len Wein's work. Like, I remember the run kind of fondly, but, like, rereading it, like, it's it's mainly just interesting for the stuff that's kind of not quite right or quite there. Like, some of his stories feel pretty slight to me. One thing that was amazing is he has an issue where the Kingpin has come back, has stolen Spider-Man's life force in order to revivify his son who's been in a coma. The Kingpin's son, not Spider-Man's son. And, <laughs> There's uh, a period of Spider-Man. <laughs> you're like, whoa, what? And uh, Spider-Man, who has almost no powers, he ends up, like, going to Kurt Connors, I, you know, because he's dying. I think I've read this in, like, an Essentials. Oh, it wouldn't surprise me because it's the issue right before, like, the lizard comes back as a result of all this and teams up with Stegron, the dinosaur man. Oh, or no, my God. He starts yes. fighting with him. No, he fights him. And, yeah. Com- like, this means nothing to me, but that was one of the first Spider-Man comics I ever read. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, I mean, I remember those fondly because it, it, at one point it reaches that, uh, that epic thing of you've got – did you just kiss your dog? No, I, I actually just moved my laptop on the desk. That was such a huge kissy noise. I was like, hmm, I wonder... When, who is Graham I, kissing I, I, I can't that? make it. Oh, there you go. It's not bad. <laughs> I'm all striking my laptop around the desk and it's not making the noise anymore. Stegron, the lizard. Oh, you're going to close it so that you don't have uh, the, the, the boys. You ran in. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, don't bark, don't bark, don't bark. <laughs> anyway, Stegron, lizard. Oh. Stegron, lizard. Uh, so, but leading up to it, one of the things that kind of blew my mind was, uh, you know, Connors helped Spider-Man temporarily and he's got a little bit of time to steal his life force back. And he does it by hitting um, the Kingpin's son with a taser. 
which is amazing because this is like 1976, 77 maybe. And I'm like, a taser? Like, Len Wein was apparently also a big fan of Omni Magazine. You know, apparently he wasn't just looking for the pictures because it totally describes like, oh, it's, you know, electric currents like thrown through these wires. And I'm like, wow, he was really on top of it. It was really strange. It would be like if in 1976 someone was like, well, let's go over and Google this. You know what I mean? Like, it was really (laughs) threw me off. But... Uh, I'm reading, I think I'm up to issue six of the Fantastic Four and, uh, yeah, issue six. I'm reading it super slowly. Uh, and the thing that I think is kind of interesting is that I, I've read most, I was like, God, I cannot, you know, it kind of blows my mind that I actually have read all these stories before. Um, you know, considering I didn't have the first six issues of the FF, you know, such was the power of Marvel's, you know, recycling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's great seeing them, you know, the scans, like seeing the letters pages and stuff. Oh, God, That's I, I love those CD-ROMs because you get the letters pages and you get the ads. The ads and everything. And the, it's interesting, like the ads, I realize how much of the ads I never paid attention to unless there was a comic book character in them. And then it was like... You know, like looking at some of this stuff, like the Kung Fu hands of Count Dante, like why has nobody ever brought that guy back? You know, he was like this like live action I, I, dude I with an know afro. exactly what you're talking about. Yes, exactly. And I'm just like, dude, bring him back. Like I'm kind of shocked we haven't brought him back as an actual comic book villain, considering he was like this real life guy in these fucking ads. Just amazing stuff. But at the time, like as a kid, I couldn't have cared less. Whereas like whenever like the um Heroes World had their catalog of like Marvel products that yes. were drawn by the Kubert School of Illustration. I would read every fucking one of those, like pour over them like they were the fucking Rosetta Stone. Like, wow, they have Conan bath gel. I wonder if I can order some of that. Like, you know, like by crom, my by crom, I'm clean. Like, come on, like right there, that's like the best. Like his little battle axe loofah. Like we totally could like move into licensing so easily you know what you will start doing with those uh scans you will mm. start getting completely obsessed with two things this is what i did when i got the avengers cd i read all the comics and then i was like wait i can read all the bulletin bulletin pages yes which i completely did and then i can read all the hostess cupcakes and twinkie ads Oh, the Hostess Cupcake ones are amazing. And, and it was actually in the page of Spider-Man where I was one where I'm like, wow, I didn't have this uh, issue and I never saw this. The, like, those Hostess Cupcake ones were pretty ridiculous, but I, I really do. I have one where he's like fighting an accountant or something. I don't know. It really was like... I, I honestly think that if someone was smart at either Marvel or DC, they'd put out a collection. That would sell. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I totally agree. Uh, and, and they're just, you know, they're goofy one-offs, but, oh, in fact, there's this one where it's, it's Spider-Man and it's so clearly drawn by, because I was reading the Spider-Mans, I'm like, oh my God, this is so clearly Ross Andrew, uh, <laughs> that I recognize that sweater from an earlier issue of Spider-Man that I'd just been reading. Like Peter Conti- Parker's like, continuity. yeah, this exactly. Happens. I'm like. Between pages of an amazing Spider-Man 169. It, after he got dressed to leave for Paris. But before he gets to the airport and kisses Mary Jane, he had an adventure where he had to throw fruit pies at somebody. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I would totally buy that. If they did, like, a, a you know, Marvel presents the best 
Who was his cupcake odds? Yeah, it kind of would be great if it was both of them. But yeah, no, seriously. And and the ones where it was, you know, I, I should dig it up. But for Onomatopoeia, I interviewed Kurt Busiek, um, and I, I asked him what his favorite uh, hostess ad was. Um, <laughs> of course you did. I, the nice part is he would have an answer. Uh, he did. He totally did. He had a great answer. Um, I'm tempted to say it's it was the Captain Marvel one because it had nitro in it, but. I'll have to double check. I, if I can double check, you, I don't even know you where know I'm going to find You know what we do have to do on Twitter after this? Well, after we record it, we've got to ask people what their favorite episode was. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be great. Hopefully there will be enough people who will know what we're talking about. Exactly. Okay, the United States Brothers question. Yes. First comics we ever read. <clears throat> oh, uh, before I answer that, I will say that one of the things that I am reading that I hope to discuss at a later point is the first 10 or so issues of Ghost Rider, which are impressively terrible as far as scripting goes and and in their own way are three times as insane as anything that Bob Haney was trying to do. Ooh, oh, uh, well, the Ghost Rider concept is insane. Well, the, well, exactly. But it kind of, to me, it kind of works. But then when you see what Gary Friedrich was doing with it, like first it starts off, you've got Mike Plug and you've got some amazing art. Uh, and then Plug leaves and you get Tom Sutton and it's very interesting because Tom Sutton decides that Ghost Rider has an actual neck which is a huge departure and kind of disquieting. Um, <laughs> but the stories are... I can see the guy with a skull for a head if I can't see his neck, but I want to see his neck. That shit's scary. You know, the thing that's kind of crazy is it is I realize now, like, I always thought of him as having a neck. Like, I must have seen these early issues <laughs> because in later issues of Ghost Rider where his... his, um, Did, his yeah, uh, didn't he have a skeleton neck? He has a skeleton neck, and he's got a skeleton neck in the way that Plug draws him for the first two issues. And then when Tom Sutton takes over, and then moves on to uh, Jim Mooney and Sal Basima, they all draw him as having like a pale white neck and like a a burning skull face. Maybe wearing the leathers. Maybe it's just me, but Jim Mooney and Ghost Rider is the weirdest pairing ever. You know, it. it, it, I'm I'm sure he does a great job. Right. But Jim Mooney and Ghost Rider, I mean, when someone says Jim Mooney to me, I'm thinking like Supergirl. Exactly. Do you know exactly. what I mean? Exactly. Uh-huh. Ghost Rider, well, not so much. You should really, it's, it has nothing on uh, him doing Steve Gerber's Man Thing. Like, Steve Gerber's Man Thing and, and Gerber and Screen's Omega the Unknown ha- with Jim Mooney on oh, art. Wait, wait, I've, I've read the, the uh, Omega the Unknown. Yeah, and it's Mooney. It's that. It, those you're entirely right. It is Mooney. Uh huh. And and it it makes the whole experience more surreal and kind of more horrifying because it is that context. Um, so I was kind of prepped for it. And, and honestly, Mo- Mooney is so game to do stuff outside of his normal, outside of the box kind of thing. Um, he's got some really interesting storytelling tricks I think that he tries in Ghost Rider but generally whether he's rushed or whatever else is going wrong things are just not as strong but but there's some amazing shit in there like there's one scene because Friedrich has like built the whole storyline up to like pretty much the appearance of where Ghost Rider learns how to make a motorcycle out of flame right so he's he's burnt you know created his epic sort of flaming chopper which is a great solution in many ways and then 
Jim Mooney has him. I'm assuming this is being done, you know, Marvel style, unless Friedrich was really writing the script. But Ghost Rider at one point is being chased by a bunch of people. He's on his flaming motorcycle. He like turns a corner with an, an intent to flip around, and the and the motorcycle stalls on him. And I'm like, <laughs> it's a motorcycle made out of flame. How can it stall? And I swear to God, it is nothing but like I swear five issues of letters like. Why did Ghost Riders like do, do flame they, do they have cycle? An you know what happened was they did um uh, you know they did the whoever can come up with the best explanation gets a no prize. Go for it, kids. So which is part of the reason why it gets dragged out for like three issues. Um and eventually someone says this they're they're like, Well, since Ghost Rider's being indirectly still controlled by Satan and therefore oh. his motorcycles being controlled by Satan Yeah. It was a better explanation than Gary Friedrich came up with, which is like, I'm going to go like get drunk and ride the rails somewhere. You know what I mean? So it's like I, I would be big to differ. I think Friedrich had just right. <laughs> <laughs>